Jason Show. Time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Gasol says, hey, pass a big ticket. T.C. Martin. And here comes the Birdman. Flapping his wings and soaring for a sweet flush. When you're aerodynamically designed with that hairdo, you can do those kinds of things. With that sweet mohawk. The doctor is now in. Unos, dos, tres. Olé. That's about all I know. It's as far as I go right here. It is a thunderous Thursday edition of the T.C. Martin Show. Glad to have you with us wherever you may be. Streaming live, of course, tcmartinshow.com. Ballpark Frank in the house. That goal horn is usually right on time, isn't it? Yeah, the goal horn is uh, usually pretty, pretty accurate. How about this next one? And making his way down the aisle, ladies and gentlemen, hailing from parts unknown, weight unknown. Stumping you is very rare. I feel like I've stumped you. You, you are the witty of wits of the one-liners. So, well, that's a visual I didn't want. <laughs> so I wasn't trying to. The quake in a singlet. I was trying to push it out of my mind, not really concentrate on it. <laughs> quake, when was the last time you got on the scale? You've been doing great. Quake? Uh, I'm the same. I haven't nothing. No, no, no shift. No, no shift at all. Yeah. A seismic shift. All right. Here you go. You're looking good, man. Thank you. I wanted to take a picture of him yesterday. For I have a, a picture. Yeah. He never sent me the picture, but he was wearing his Golden Knights gear yesterday. Yeah. So I said, I want to put that picture up on the web- website instead of the one that we have with his you know, pretty in pink Richard Gear uh, shirt that he has. I like that shirt. That's my power shirt. <laughs> it's your power shirt. Yeah. But you, I think you were freshly shaven that day that we took that picture, too. I was, yeah. Yeah. So you would you rather go the freshly shaven, or would you rather like to go the... Uh, Whatever this look is you have here. This is about as long as it's going to get right now. I like the uh, I like the uh, 5 o'clock shadow look. There you go. So. Well, so th- wouldn't the pink shirt, though, wouldn't that be more the Heart Foundation than the yeah. Natural Disasters? Very nice. It's Very true. nice. The Heart Foundation, yeah. That's... Uh, pink you know, and black. Yeah, pink and black. Yeah. That would be the... Well, it wouldn't be the singlet because they had the... Uh, they had like the a hybrid singlet. Yeah, right. Yeah, Brett had like the stra- he had the straps, but he wore like the pants. Though. Yes, yeah. And Nyhart would always snap the straps yep. all the time too. Uh, got some great Jim the Anvil Nyhart stories. Too. I know you do. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard some. Off Another air. one. Rest in peace. We talked about you know what animal passing yesterday. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, it, it's a rough day for Chicago. Animal, of course, from Chicago, just like yep. Gale Sayers, mm-hmm. who I wasn't know. from there, but certainly played there and made his name there right exactly all right today on the program we're going to visit with raiders fullback alec ingold uh the trivia answer so to speak who is the first las vegas raiders to score a touchdown in the brand new allegiant stadium that trivia question alec ingold there you go so i've been wanting to talk to alec ingold for quite some time because he grew up in green bay i actually got a chance to watch him play high school football in Green Bay. Went to Wisconsin, right? He went to Wisconsin, exactly. Actually, you know, was going to go, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to touch upon this uh, in our conversation today, is that he was a great quarterback in high school. I mean, just a phenomenal dual-threat quarterback. The guy had, in his three years as a starter, sophomore, junior, and senior, senior season there, he had over 100 touchdowns. That's how much of a stud he was. And I believe 61 of them were rushing touchdowns. So yeah, he was a stud. He was a stud wrestler as well, too. Baseball player as well. And uh, yeah, he was one of the, you know, probably one of the 
I would say the best football players to come out of Green Bay in high school there. So, yeah, so they're a, th- a three sport athlete, but uh, throwing wrestling in there instead of, uh, you know, like back when everybody used to be three sport athletes, yeah. a lot of them would be football, basketball, baseball, or right. something. Or sometimes guys would run cross country to be yeah. in shape for the other ones or whatever. But uh, yeah. wrestling thrown in there with the football and baseball. But as, nice. you, as you know, the wrestling huge in the Midwest. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, Absolutely. And he, he was a stud at that as well, too. So, yeah, we'll visit with Alec Ingold. There will be uh, several Green Bay references in this conversation today. There, there, sh- there, there has to what be. What a shocker. Yeah, I know. So, but you just How ma- many of them with food, though? Well, you know, I'm going to go there. There's no question I'm going to well, go there. You have to. I have to, exactly. You, you, your only problem is that you can't post pictures during a radio interview. Yeah, man. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention a couple of, of Green Bay hotspots as far as favorite food joints that I have with him. I guarantee it's going to resonate with him like that. No question. I mean, we have to talk food. We have to, right? That's, that's what we do here. All right, so Alec Ingold, the Raiders fullback, will join us uh, a little bit later on, so hang tight for that. But we start the program off with the big seven-footer himself. That's right. Not the one, not the two, not the three, not the four. The five-time NBA champ. The pride of the Cartwright Ranch. Big Bill Cartwright. You're going with this today instead of uh, Numchuck's sound bite his open with uh, Ray Clay uh, at the uh, stadium? Bonanza, Bonanza gets a good pop out of the seven-footer. He pops every time he hears that. He likes Bonanza's Bonanza. I like, I, like, I like Bonanza. Do you like Bonanza better than the Ray Clay introduction of the man in the middle? Because remember, you are the original man in the middle. Well, it's, it's, as long as you phrase it the right way, because you know you could have said he was the uh, black sheep of the family, but but you didn't. You, you went the other way, so it's very acceptable. How about we go with Black Bart from Blazing Saddles? He was a tremendous sheriff. How about we go with that? The sheriff of whatever, <laughs> wherever. The sheriff of Elk Grove. Can we go with that? How's that? What, what is your Blazing Saddles? Uh, you got to get that in. Did you get like some uh, kind of commission on that? Dude, like every show is blazing saddles. Because I know how much of a Western guy you are. Do you know any other Westerns? No, and it's funny because Frank and I were just talking about Westerns, and I think he's with me on this because Mel Brooks, one of the greatest directors of all time. All right, and that's that's another Cartwright family contest you have to have is the greatest director of all time. And we're talking today about Mel Brooks, and we were talking about Governor Sisolak earlier about getting him back on the program. And Mel Brooks, what did it say on the back of his suit in Blazing Saddles? Do you remember that? No, no, I don't. I, I don't remember what he said in a, in, a, in a Western. Frank, help him out. Help Bill out what, what, the, what, the, what the governor, Mel Brooks, said uh, in Blazing Saddles, one of the greatest Westerns of all time. It just said gov. He, he was the gov. It said gov in the back, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. but give him, but Bill doesn't know what he said, so give him a couple of his lines. Well, I mean, he said all sorts of stuff. Uh, of course, the woman that was quite um, well endowed up top, he talked about Bernadette Peters, right? Yes, Bernadette Peters, yes. and, and when he was trying to play with the little paddle ball thing, and yeah. he was saying his is broke, and uh, <laughs> it's just, I mean, it, it was just a hilarious thing, you know. Hey, give me my pen. Where's my pen? Oh, oh and, and then he, when he was looking for the ducky in the bathtub, the ducky, yeah, ducky, ducky. <laughs> yeah. No, that wasn't him. That was Harvey Corman with the ducky. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was Harvey Corman. What a cast. Bill, are, you got to tell me, you had to be a Blazing Saddles fan. I like Blazing Saddles, but that's, that's not a classic line. And nor is it a classic line to talk about the fact that he had Gov written on the back. <laughs> that's preposterous. How could you even reference that? I don't, I don't, I don't get that at all. It's a great reason movie. Is great movie. Okay, 
And, and, and the reason is you think it's a great movie because you don't know Westerns. There's two things you don't know. You might as well not do it. You know no Westerns and you don't know sci-fi. So why even get involved with that? Guilty on alone. both counts. You don't know anything about that. I'm, I'm not bringing up. You when will. do I bring up sci-fi? When do I bring up that nonsense? And I haven't brought up Westerns. Just referencing you... Westerns because he played the Cartwright theme. That's the only reason I'm going there. How do we get the Blazing Saddles? Why do you even mention that? You don't know anything about Westerns. That's a, the greatest Western of all time. That's it. That's that's, great, that's the only Western you know. So, yes, it would be for you in your house, the greatest of all time. Yeah. You've only watched one. It, it might be the greatest Western <laughs> comedy, but, I mean, there was yeah. True Grit. There was, you well, know, of I mean, course, it's debatable. Stuff, it's debatable, you okay? Know? I mean, okay, listen. We, we I was just watching Real Bravo the other day, old-time Western, you know? Dean Martin, the Sinan, man that shot Liberty Bell. Would you rather us Absolutely. go with that? The man that shot. You know that one? Of course, I know that one. How well do you know it? The man who shot Liberty yes. Bell. I've seen the movie several times. There we go. We've got it for you right Every, now. Every everybody knows it, but you. And that's that, and that's my point. Go ahead, Bill. Sing it. Sing along. Let's see how well you know it. Come on. No, no. Sorry, I'm, I'm gonna need a few scotches to sing along. <laughs> <laughs> then we can carry okay. They, they trip. They, they trip Jimmy Stewart carrying the steak, and it goes on the floor. And John Wayne okay. tells him to pick it up. I mean, of course, this is not this classic, is not the Western week. Okay, movie. this is not the Western week. What this is? All right, let's get ready for the Cartwright family uh, contest. Here it is this week, ladies and gentlemen, the greatest comedian of all time. The greatest comedian. So we're going to go around. Of all time. Of all time, all right? We have a packed studio. Packed studio. Numchuck's in the house. Spencer the Wiz is in the house. Of course, you got Ballpark Frank. You got the Quake. Frank, we'll start with you. Greatest comedian of all time. Man, there's so many that jump to my mind, but if I'm going to go with one, it's going to be a guy that truly could do impromptu immediately, Robin Williams. Robin Williams. Robin Williams stand-up and everything else he did, the guy was absolutely sensational. You know, I got to go with you with that. There's no question. Robin Williams... Again, Carlin was going to be, he was close, but yeah. Robin Williams to me. Was so, Bill, one. you'll appreciate this. My sister actually, you know, from San, San Francisco with Robin Williams, actually performed with him in San Francisco on several occasions as they did impromptu comedy. So, what do you think of that? Robin Williams, you got to <laughs> admit, Robin Williams has got to be up there. Robin Williams is, uh, has gotten a few votes. As, as you know, I do not reveal my um, winner until tomorrow. But I will say, probably the best guy that I have seen um, in person uh, that I was on. Um, unfortunately, I was uh, in the number one row, and this guy roasted me for most of the night, and I, I died, was uh, Don Rickles. Uh, see, that's where I was going to go. That's exactly where I was going to go. I've seen that guy so many times. I saw him at Hilarious. the Riviera. I saw him at the Riviera yes. late in his real, real late yeah. in his career, like well, not that long ago. Hey, I'll tell you. Well, I saw him more recent. I, I saw him, I think it was, what, three or four months before he passed at the Orleans. And that was about two two years ago. He was at the Orleans, and we gave yeah. away tickets. Yeah, when he would like drop the mic, and then somebody has to come and pick it up yeah. for him. But it was couldn't. sad because that yeah. night at the Orleans, he had to do the show, the majority of the show, in this recliner, and he couldn't get up. And yeah, he couldn't even sit on the stool Exactly, anymore. and yeah. they, they showed a lot of old film clips from uh, Johnny Carson, The Tonight Show. But I saw him just, I think it was like four or five months before he passed. It was, it was sad. But, Bill, that's funny you say that. I was going to go Don Rickles. I was going to go Don Rickles. Quake, where are you going? 
well, I love stand-up comedy, and when a comedian can be both funny and can uh, offer good social commentary and make you think a little bit, I have three of my favorites, George Carlin being one of them, Dave Chappelle, and Richard Pryor. Those are my three favorites. Pryor was definitely on my list, too. He'd be yeah. on my short list for sure. Yeah. Those guys could both be – all three of them could be funny, but then also right. say things that are important and, and meaningful, so that's important. All right, so Numchuck's going to go with Carlin. All right, you're going to go with Carlin. The seven uh, words you can't say on television or radio or whatever, right? You're going to go with that? All right. All right. Let's give Spencer the mic. Spence, who are you chiming in with? Who are you going with? Who's the comedian? Just going to have to yell. He's going to have to yell. Okay, go ahead. Number one, comedian of all time. Of all time. You paying attention here? Let's go, man. We put him on the spot. Robin Williams is the correct answer. Robin Williams is the correct answer. Okay, so get some answers. Okay, so I'm going to have to go back. I'm really going to get Bill fired up, right? I'm going to have to go back to I said actor a few weeks ago too. I got to go to Mr. Bean. Mr. Bean has got to get some votes. That guy's hilarious. No, (laughs) not a stand-up comedian. No. What are you talking about? Not a stand-up comedian. He's a comedian. What, did, He's did, not a drama did, actor. I think this. Did, did he just nose out stand-up. Benny Hill or something? I mean, Benny Hill. John Cleese. I'm going to go with John Cleese. Now, Can I do that? My, Monty Python is a group. Sure. Might have been my favorite. Group. Yeah. But Eric Idle. Also not stand-up comedian. Really? Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, Bill. It didn't have to be stand-up comedian, right? Didn't have no. to be stand-up. Well, you said, no. you said comedian. Best comedian. No. You said oh, best comedian. Best comedian. No. Doesn't have to be standing. Oh, he, could, he could sit down, Quake, which, like you. Which, to me, is, again, why Robin Williams is the clear-cut yeah. winner. Because he can do stand-up. He can do movies. He can do serious acting. He can do everything. Was he better than Anson Williams? Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> like from, from Happy Days? Yeah, Potsy. Very oh, good. There, give yourself the bell right there. Very nice. children, too. Revenge of the nerds. Come on. That's all you guys got for me? There's got to be some more comedians. Come on. I thought we were talking about stand-up. Yeah. I, I will say who's ahead right now is Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle's got the lead right now. As it should be. Is he really that funny? Oh. Yeah? Yes. I, yeah? I mean, I'll tell you what. For, for, for just pure stand-up, uh, Eddie Murphy was great. Yes. Yeah, he was. Yeah. 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 I think I think Dave Chappelle is a little more current than all those guys. Yeah. And, and, and again, that would probably be relevant to a lot of people that voting that maybe didn't, uh, especially like a guy like Carlin, maybe some younger people haven't seen him or... And if you haven't, you don't want to go. YouTube you don't want to go with one of our favorite locals right here, Jimmy JJ Walker. Come on, Bill, you love Jimmy JJ Walker. I know, Mike. He's probably listening right I now. I love Jimmy JJ Walker, and I saw him. Uh, he performed actually uh, in uh, in San Francisco. He was he was amazing. I loved him. Yeah. You know, another guy who's it's an acquired taste, but if you like him, I I really enjoyed seeing Stephen Wright. Stephen Wright's yeah, great. Good. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's tons. There's yeah. tons. I mean, there's a lot of them. Mm. Sometimes it depends on the mood you're in as well. Speaking of Vegas, how about George Wallace? Let's throw him in there. Yeah, George. Mr. Lost George Vegas. George is a good George, George that, that dude is amazing. He is, right? So, yes. yeah, last time I saw George, Jimmy was there as well, unannounced, and they, they did the show together. It's great. I mean, guys like Martin Mall and people like that that oh, are as well-known, I mean, he's, he's excellent. Gilbert Godfrey. What do you think of that, Bill? You like Gilbert Godfrey? I saw him at the Westgate. Yeah. He's actually really funny. I, saw him, I saw him at the Riv. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're One of the funniest sure. things he said was when he talked about uh, screwing up, he said, I had the easiest job in the world. He was the Affleck duck. He was. And he made that company mad. And lo- he said, all I had to do was say, Affleck. <laughs> and he completely screwed it up. Lost himself a ton of money. Oh, all right. Wow. Let's go to basketball. Can we do that? The NBA. 
Last night. What my, a segue. My, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was, I was going to go to hang them high because I just got a text from a listener who said, go hang them high. <laughs> Jeez, hang them low. Who knows what? Yeah, forget the Westerns. <laughs> NBA playoffs. Miami's up 3-1 over Boston. Another impressive win by the Heat last night. Bill, is Boston cooked in this series? Uh, they're not cooked because they actually have the – I think they are, their starters are actually better. Uh, both teams are going on a short bench. But, uh, you know, whatever this dude – how do you pronounce this guy's name? Hero, Haran, Hero. Hero from Kentucky, yeah. Hero. He's yeah. a hero. Yeah. Yeah, that that kid was amazing. You're trying too you know, hard. It's just to, hero to come off to, to come off the bench. Well, I want to pronounce it correctly. I understand. So, uh, so you know, I, I I think that's a huge factor. When you got a guy come off the bench, you got a guy who can you know put up put up those many points, and also a, a big factor was uh, is what Miami did uh, uh, defensively. Uh, played the zone, played the zone. And uh, they really struggled um, once they got the ball in the paint. They, they couldn't finish in there. So that, that was a huge factor in, in that game. And uh, uh, I thought that Miami was, was trying to screw up the game at the end by, uh, by not just playing how they had been playing and just be aggressive. And they tried to hold the ball and really made it a lot closer than, uh, than it was. But... Uh, you know, it's three one now. It's going to be very difficult for for them to come back unless they, uh, you know, got to discover how to play against the zone. They got to use maybe somebody off the bench, and uh, and then be able to guard them because uh, Miami put up uh, 144 points on them. So, uh, to me, if you're giving up 110 points in a game, uh, it's, it's going to be really difficult to win. Yeah. So. You brought up the zone. Uh, so you, brought, we'll you brought up the zone, and the thing about it is, h- hardly anybody in the NBA plays zone, especially when we get to playoffs. And Miami has been great at that. We saw Toronto take down Golden State last year, you know, with the box and one. It's just, it's just amazing now that that we're starting to get a little bit more talk, and there's been a little bit more love for these teams going zone. And I don't get it. Because as you know, the zone is the easiest thing in the world to bust open, okay? Especially in the NBA, especially with sharpshooters. Why is it that these teams are having problems with the zone or having problems with the, with the gimmicks like the box and one? It, it really doesn't make much sense because the reason why a lot of coaches don't do that, specifically in college, because, like I said, it's easy to bust open. And with the NBA, where you have shooters galore, it just makes no sense to me. Give me some thoughts. Well, it should make sense because the offense are running is 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 a five and out. So if you've got five guys standing on the outside of the floor, uh, you play zone. But you run because, a zone offense against that, like you do in high school and college. You see a zone, you run a zone offense. Okay, that's predicated on quick passing, cuts, back doors. You you know that, and then again, you know, over flood the zone. You know, with the man to man, you're running the high screen and rolls, the motion offense, this and that. But I see these. Coaches running the same offense against the zone. That goes against coaching 101 that you learn when you're coaching grade school, right? Well, I, I think the big point of that is that uh, the teams like Boston, who they don't have uh, and haven't played any post offense, they're not comfortable 
playing inside, and they're having a really difficult time immediately inside. So that's the point. So it's it's like they're getting the ball in there. They just, they, they can't score. They're more comfortable, uh, and I'm not going to make it general, but it probably is. Teams are more comfortable now. Their offense is shooting jump shots outside. If they get the ball inside, they're they're they're, they're having difficulties. So that's exactly what happened last game. Uh, and then now your offense is, is out of kilter because you've got to be able to get to the ball to the post. It's not going to happen. You'd like to get the ball to the elbow uh, or free throw line. Uh, that's just not happening. And uh, um, teams are still trying to drive to get in there, and uh, they're, they they have a couple of people to uh, to challenge them, and, and they can't finish. So um, it makes great sense to me. Um, you know, because and, and and let's face it, this is this is a guard dominated offense. Guard dominated uh, by screen roll, high inside, and isolation basketball. So you've been doing that all year. So now you play zone, you 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 change it. You change everything. There's no screen roll. There's no isolation. And there's no three-point shots. So, so the three things that you've been doing all year, now you, you can't do it. You've got to throw the ball inside. And uh, uh, that's exactly what I would do. Uh, take the game away, make them do something else, and, uh, and, and put them behind the eight ball. Hey, Bill, I want to flip it over to the West just uh, for a minute here because uh, the Lakers certainly looking to uh, take a stranglehold 3-1, although we've seen Denver come from down 3-1 a couple times in this playoff already. But the Lakers recently, there was a story out today that they are uh, contacting the NBA offices because LeBron James isn't going to the free throw line often enough. He only had two free throws in the last game. He's had Mm -hmm. 10 in this series. They think that he's been aggressive and he should be getting more fouls. Is this something that the Lakers think is actually going to have an effect with the NBA offices? Is it something they're doing to try to get into the head of the officials or just make them more cognizant of the fact that you need to start giving us some calls? Uh, considering the Lakers were up in this, in the, in, the, in, in this series, uh, look, I, I think the officials do a great job. I, I think that, you know, in in a normal game, the officials are, eh, they're about 90% right most of the time, at worst, 90%. So, um, in basketball, it's how it's being played now. Um, but the fact you go to the basket, you get bumped. You get bumped at all, it's going to be a foul. Uh, if you fall down, um, it's, it's going to be a flagrant. If you fall down hard, it'll probably be a flagrant too, and you'll be tossed out of the game. So, um, I don't know. I don't really know what that means. Uh, uh, I, I watched the last game. Uh, I didn't see it. Um, you know, I'm, you know, the Lakers still scored 106 points. The, the bad thing is that Denver put 114 on them. So, um, I don't know. My thing is try to guard somebody and I keep them under 110 and you're probably going to win the game. I'm, I'm, I'm just not seeing that. Uh, you know, and I'm sure the Lakers didn't say that after they won the first game. They scored 126 points. 126. 
Well, we're just uh, we're just used to LeBron bitching and crying anyway, saying that you know he didn't get enough votes in the MVP voting, and so just more more LeBron complaining. That's the way I look at it. Well, well, we know that because you you're 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 not LeBron's biggest fan. I I, I think for me, look, every game is every game is different. You can have different officials. Uh, it's, it's like baseball referees. You know, the calls are going to be a little different. Maybe the strike zone is a little wider. Maybe it's lower. Maybe it's higher. And with guys, uh, you know, the referees and the gals, you know, the few that they have, uh, everybody's that different. So the calls are going to be a little bit different. Uh, you know, that bump you got last game, maybe it's not going to be called at all. So the games are going to be loose. They're going to be tight. Um so you just play, and that's part of basketball. You've got to adjust uh, the games being called, you adjust to the situations that's at hand. Um, and, and my thing, uh, Denver won that game because they were the most aggressive team, which is usually the case. The team that is the most aggressive, uh, offensively or defensively, is going to be the team that wins. And um, uh, that's exactly what happened. And we'll see how they react. If, they, if the Lakers come out aggressively, uh, they pounded Denver inside, pounding them, and played a big lineup. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if they, if, if they continue, if they're the aggressive team, they're attacking the basket. I, I, I think they'll win. If they're going to play country club, three-point uh, shooting, uh, I think it's going to be tough. Yeah, I think the Houston Rockets have been eliminated, so no more. We don't have to look at that. Country club three-point shooting. Bill Cartwright joins us, the big seven-footer. Another seven-footer, Kevin Garnett, guy you know pretty well. He had some comments talking about you know watching these games or playing these games in the bubble. He was saying that, hey, there was so much trash talk that he could never, ever play in the bubble uh, I think that was the story, right, Frank? Yeah, he basically came out and said, you know, like we would say, get that blank out of here, and there'd be trash talking back and forth. And he said, we were men, yo. I mean, it, you know, he was saying that they were too manly and with the talk on the court and that, that it would never translate to, because we can basically hear everything going on in the court these days. And he was just like, my generation, we would not have been friendly for the bubble. The TV and that would not have liked it. So what transitions us to you, Bill, uh, agree or disagree with that, and then give us a, a, a couple of the famous trash talkers that you had to go head to head with when you played. Well, uh, you know, and it's funny that for me to talk about Kevin Garnett, talk about his generation, because I don't know, for me and probably for you too, it's like, hey, that's still going on. <laughs> You're right. the same guy. Right. But uh, um, guys did not do that, them. You know, there was no big trash talkers, at least not that way, because for one thing, um, you know, you could have an opportunity to smash into somebody back then, and uh, that would that would take care of itself. But uh, uh, we we were more about play and uh, and 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 less talk. So I'm I'm, I'm not a big fan of of when there's supposedly trash talk. Um. Because for 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 one thing, just bantering on the floor that happens all the time—that's not trash talk. That's just like that's just a situation that happens. Uh, if a guy gets a dunk, if a guy gets a block, um, you know, to me, if, if a guy gets a dunk, he gets a dunk. 
okay, what's a dunk? It's two points. So run back on defense. And if you get a block, okay, you got a block, congratulations. Now run back the other way. It's no big deal. But now, it, you know, to me it is. It's like a big deal of things that happen all the time. So it's, uh, to me, it's soft. Uh, it's, it's no big deal. It's irrelevant. Uh, if you want to trash talk at the end of the game, hey, look, you played a great game. We, we, we whipped your ass. So um, that's trash talk. Yeah, back in your day yeah, again, it was, it was more about it's more about clotheslines and eye gouging and shots to the throat, undercutting guys' knees. That's, no, bl- no blood, no foul. Exactly, that's Hi, what it was all about. This is Bill Beer, and you're listening right. to the TC. <laughs> yeah, there was blood, man. I mean, if, if we saw some blood, what do you think would happen if some guy got hit? Now think about this: if somebody got hit, drove to the basket, got hit, and got cut. Are you telling me there that's not a flagrant two and they're out of the game? Oh yeah. It is guaranteed. Yeah. It's guaranteed. Now that happened a long time. So it's like, oh my God, that guy got hit, he got cut. Um gone. Now for us, be no big deal. Be like, hey, he got hit, he got cut, he's fine. Got the trainer right there. Let's play. Um you know, I, I I still remember a game when I was playing against the Knicks, and I got I got hit in the mouth, and which you know it happened all the time. You hit in the mouth, elbow, no big deal. And the trainer at that time, Mike Saunders, comes over to me and he says, "Hey, you got you got to come out of the game." I'm like, I'm "Not coming out of the game. Just put a bandaid on my mouth." He says, "No, no, no. I can see my teeth through your lip." So, so that was the only way you went out of a game is when you were like really cut or really hurt or really bleeding. Um, because if you were, if you got cut, you know, just uh, wipe it off. Guys have blood on their uniform. You, you just, you just played. Uh, it was no big deal. But, but the league is now, it's, 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 it's a softer league. It's uh, um, guys, and, and probably rightly so, uh, you can't you can't deliver that kind of a blow anymore, and probably rightly so. I mean, we we're probably not too bright to, <laughs> to, to accept that kind of play, but that's what we were dealing with at that point in time. But that was basketball. That's it. That's the basketball we love to watch. Plain simple. There you go. All right, my friend. We appreciate it. Uh, who are you picking tonight? You picking the Lakers or are you picking the Nuggets? This is the Lakers series to uh, win or lose. You know, Lakers have a better team. They got a better bench. Um, they're they're more versatile. They can go small. They can go big. I think I think they need to, to stay big and, and pummel them inside. Uh, but if they score around with them, Denver has the, has the ability to score. Uh, they can't give up more than 110 points in a game. Uh, they've got to control it, control the tempo. Uh, they can do it. It's 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 all on them. It's their it's their game. It's their series to win or lose. And Anthony Davis has to have more than two rebounds. That's an embarrassment. I mean, as a big man yourself, come on, two rebounds in a playoff game? Are you kidding me? Is that the that is that the ultimate softness right there? Well, look, um, Anthony Davis and the rest of the Lakers have to play better than the Nuggets team sport. So, if that if that happens, um, if they if they play well, if they're the aggressors in the game, they're hungry. They come after right away. 
and you'll see it right away. They, they come after it. Their intent is good. Uh, like I said, it's their it's their game, it's their series to win or lose. All right, brother. All right, we'll we see what we appreciate the time as always, and uh, fill us in next week on who the greatest comedian of all time is. And uh, we'll start working on some ideas for next week as well, too. All right, it's not Mel Brooks, so just remember that. Cartwright, Cartwright, Cartwright. He yelled Cartwright. I missed that. Who's Cartwright? I'm Cartwright. You're not Cartwright. Of course I'm not Cartwright. And they're two of the greatest comedians of all time right there. Right there. Plain and simple. Jerry Seinfeld and Jason Alexander. All right, my friend. We'll talk to you later. Go get some uh, Chinese food. Hasta la vista, baby. (laughs) When we come back, Alec Ingold will join us. The Raiders fullback. Yes, we'll talk. Touchdown. Monday night, we'll talk the Patriots, and yes, we'll talk food. Hi, this is Bill Beer, and you're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. Monday night, the Las Vegas Raiders open their new $2 billion stadium in style with an impressive victory, and the man who will be linked to the trivia question of who scored the very first Raider touchdown at Allegiant Stadium is our guest today and a kid that I actually saw play in Green Bay, the pride of Bayport High School, and now the starting fullback of your Las Vegas Raiders, Alec Ingle. Alec, how you doing? Good. That's a heck of an introduction right there. That was uh... (laughs) a... There's at least four sentences. That's that's pretty impressive. Well, there you go. I mean, you know, guys from Green Bay, we could put some things together. You know, we could do that. But uh, <laughs> hey, I you, like it. You know, I've been wanting to to chat with you for quite some time, and I know you're in your second season with the Raiders. But like I said, uh, a guy from Green Bay, so it's always always great to talk to a, a a fellow Green Bay guy. But you know, many people probably don't know this, but in high school. You were a quarterback, and you could actually spin it, too. I mean, this guy threw for over 2,800 yards. I think it was 28 touchdowns, but you were more of a running quarterback. You ran for 4,200 yards, and I think like 61 touchdowns. That's amazing, incredible. Do you miss playing quarterback at all? A hundred percent. I mean, I think going through the recruiting process uh, late into the high school. Um, you know, I, I had a lot of interest, mid-major quarterback stuff, a um, few offers to go play D1. And, um, you know, at that point where it was Wisconsin as an athlete and never playing quarterback again or, um, you know, go give it a shot at Northern Illinois, uh, try and be the next Jordan Lynch out there, try and run it, throw it, all that stuff. Um, you know, once once I had hung up that little part of me right there, it's, it's been – you know, there's a little hole in my heart, but uh, no, I think I'm I'm good where I'm at. I love playing fullback. I love the physicality of it. So uh, it, it's a double-edged sword for sure. Yeah, and that reminds me, and a lot of people, again, probably don't know this, but I remember your sophomore year, you actually had, I think it was a 95-yard touchdown run, and it was called back due to a penalty. You came back, seemed maybe a little gassed in the huddle next play they backed it up you know half the distance to the goal and you ran for 97 and a half yards for a touchdown that, that must have been must have been uh, against green bay west i don't know who that was against <laughs> but who was that against by the way but but th- th- think about that 95 yarder called back you come back and you run for 97 to the house that's incredible man yeah, that was my first varsity game against uh, De Pere, East De Pere. Okay, um, and they were good. So yeah, they were was, pretty good. <laughs> they, they were. It was there was a little trash talk. You know, we didn't know who was going to win that game, and 
I ended up getting to clean up some garbage time at quarterback and uh, made, made the most of it on those two runs. So you mentioned about the possibility of going to Northern Illinois, being the next Jordan Lynch as a quarterback. You did go to Wisconsin, like you mentioned, not really knowing what position you were going to play. I'm curious, talk about the, that decision and the conversation you had with head coach Paul Christ at that time when you decided to go to Wisconsin. Yeah, I think just it was a new coaching staff, and they didn't exactly know you know, who they were inheriting and all that stuff. Uh, they were at Pitt, and he's like, you know, we have, a, we have a thought that, you know, linebacker might be your thing. We're going to start you out there. But he's like, I, I do see a little bit of James Conner in you when he was over at Pitt. So that guy ended up going to running back. You never know, you know what could happen. So from that point on, they're, they're really open with me about that and just understanding that showing up and being a coachable football player was going to get me as far as I could go. Um, I put a lot of trust into that, that coaching staff to kind of just figure out a spot for me and, and just play as, as good a football as I could be. And, you know, it went from linebacker then to running back week three against Hawaii. Um, started my career out at, at uh, running back, sorry, week four. And then the next year uh, went over to fullback and then the rest is history there. So uh, just bouncing around and knowing that I needed to be coachable. I, I learned a lot of lessons there at Wisconsin, just moving positions, just being a team player and, and figuring out that whole process for me. Well, you went undrafted. Was there some thought that you were going to have to get a, another job or a real job or doing something else the moment that uh, you feel, okay, I, I, I may not go to the NFL? Yeah, I mean, I, so my junior year finishes up, and I, I was back up my junior year at fullback, and uh, I actually went through you know a whole lot of vetting, a whole lot of job search, and um, I ended up getting a job offer to sell uh, Oracle software, um, like computer software. Um, <laughs> so I took a job out in Boston. Like I was, you know, if football didn't work out for me my, going into my senior year, if I got hurt, if, if the season didn't go perfectly as planned, uh, I had that job kind of waiting for me out there, um, and it was just kind of a wait-and-see deal. So even through – uh, training camp my rookie year, uh, the preseason, you know, if I had gotten cut, you know, I, I probably would be, you know, out selling insurance. But, you know, thankfully I, I made the team and, and and everything really worked out from there. We're visiting with Alec Ingold, the fullback for the Las Vegas Raiders, scored the very first touchdown at Legion Stadium for the Silver and Black on Monday night. So you got the call from John Gruden. You got the invite to come to training camp. We're talking about last year, of course. How confident were you that this thing was going to work out with the Raiders? Yeah, I mean, I think I had to go into it with supreme confidence. You know, we talk about that job, and some people might say that sounds like half foot in, half foot out. But um, really, I think it just freed myself to just give it everything I had, uh, play relentlessly, be consistent, and and just be the best version of myself every single day when I, I woke up. So, you know, five months of sleeping in a hotel with uh, Foster Morrow and just grinding it out in Oakland, California, it, it just kind of going through that whole OTA process into training camp in Napa. I was, you know, playing some of the best ball I've ever played and just with the most effort and the most, you know, coachable I could be, some of the lessons I learned early on at, at Wisconsin and um, really just gave it my best shot and left, left it up to the coaches to make that decision and, once they, you know, pull the trigger on, on my name and, you know, I make the team, then right there from, from the start of the season, you know, I didn't, I didn't play my best ball uh, early on in the season, but I was definitely given that effort and uh, was really ready for whatever and trying to just improve every single day. Now, that relationship with Coach Gruden actually started at the Senior Bowl, I believe, and also Josh Jacobs was there, the running back from Alabama. 
How key was was that trip and participating in those workouts and getting ready for the Senior Bowl under Gruden and meeting Josh Jacobs? Did you realize at that point in time that, that hey, this is going to be a, a key element for me to get to the NFL? Yeah, just getting in front of that coaching staff at the Senior Bowl was huge. I, I met Josh at the Combine, actually. I think he was a junior, but um, no, uh, Coach Gruden, meeting him there, meeting the whole staff, and just understanding what it took to, to be a football player there and um, just showing the willingness that I wanted to get better. Uh, I knew I wasn't an NFL-quality fullback yet, and showing the willingness that I'm going to do whatever it takes to kind of be your guy was, was really my mission there, and I think that's what led to that phone call uh, day three of the draft after going undrafted and, and solidifying that relationship and knowing that, you know, regardless of getting drafted or not, you know, my goal was to be a heck of a, a fullback for – for Coach Gruden in this this offense, it wasn't to get drafted or not get drafted. Now we know Gruden has those Green Bay ties as well too, and he's still fond of Green Bay. I'm sure that had to come up. Uh, does he ever uh, talk about his days in Green Bay? Do you guys ever chat about that? Uh, we did a lot uh, last year, um, just when he was a coach out there, position coach, and um, I just let him know that you know those teams growing up, you know that's they really built a foundation for success in Green Bay, and that's kind of what gave me the love for football watching Donald Driver and Amon Green, Will Henderson, Brett Favre. You know, I, I grew up, you know, loving to watch all those, all those guys. And we got to watch a lot of winning seasons at Green Bay. So uh, I knew he was uh, that coaching staff that he was a part of was a huge reason for that. All right. Alec Ingold, fullback of the Raiders joins us. Let's talk about the transition from Oakland to Vegas. Obviously the cities and the stadiums are completely different. Uh, how was that uh, last year for you handling being in the middle of that situation? You're a rookie, but knowing that the Raiders are leaving Oakland, you know, fans are in the stands, you have to deal with that, and then knowing that, hey, you're going to be in Las Vegas a year later. I think it was a huge blessing to be a part of the Oakland Raiders, be a part of that last year, uh, to be able to live in Oakland and feel the the history and the importance of what that this franchise is, and uh, to be able to understand that and be a part of that, be able to play in the Coliseum, walk the same halls as all those greats that have played. I feel like it gives a lot of us that, that we're able to be a part of that team, a, a sense of the toughness, the grit, the determination it, it takes to be a Raider. And then to kind of bring that to Las Vegas and understand that we can put our own stamp on that. But understanding the greats that came before us, I think that last year in Oakland was, was historic. And I think it was really something to, that, that I will never forget. I'm very thankful for. All right, you guys are 2-0 and right now, coming off the big victory against the Saints on Monday night here. What have you felt have been the keys to these two victories, two impressive victories so far? I think, you know, being able to adjust on offense, big stops on defense, uh, playing complementary football, feeding off of one another, and, and obviously, you know, under center, Derek is doing a great job getting Josh and our O-line, our strengths of our offense into good looks. And uh, like I said, just being able to adjust, you know, no one has an ego on this team and just being able to understand that you're, you're able to play your role whenever your number gets called, uh, do what you're supposed to do and do your job and, and know that when we're making adjustments, when we're trying to you know, figure out how to move the ball down the field and, and get into the end zone, um, your role is going to play a part in it at some point or another. So just understanding the importance of each and every play and just staying on schedule has been huge for our offense and, and then our defense being able to make those key stops. 
let's talk about that first touchdown that you scored with the Raiders in Allegiant Stadium there. Did you realize, you must have realized at that point in time when you got in the end zone that, hey, history was in the making. Kind of take us through that and how you felt afterwards. Uh, I think, you know, once you, you catch the ball and you get into the end zone, you want to celebrate with teammates. So that's exactly what I did. It just turn around, be with my guys. And then, you know, once we're heading off to the sideline, got the ball back uh, and, and you're sitting down there for a little bit, that's when it kind of sinks in, like, what history just happened, and I had to get ready to run down on kickoff the very next next play. So thankfully, uh, Coach Basacha gave me that playoff. But uh, no, just understanding that you know it was an important part of the game, but um, you know you, you still had to be locked in and, and ready for the rest of the game. So it, it was a little bit of uh, remin- uh, not reminiscent, but understand where you're at in the moment, and then tying it right back into playing some ball. And I'm sure you're, you've heard it quite a bit. And, of course, I mentioned it too, you know, being the you know, trivia answer of the first touchdown at Legion Stadium. How does that sit with you? Uh, I think it's cool, um, but hopefully that's not all I'm known for out here in Vegas. So. Right. <laughs> we're, we're, it's, it's a solid start, so let, let's just hope that uh, Josh and I can – do some damage here for a while all right speaking of damage uh we look at the patriots this weekend coming up on sunday offensively what do you guys feel that you can do well against them especially that belichick defense uh yeah exactly i think the belichick defense is is spot on they're going to confuse us a lot and uh, try and give us a lot of different looks so being able to be confident in our rules uh and and being able to play football fast i think will be huge for us you know we got a good game plan so it's all about just trusting, trusting the rules and the looks that they're going to give us and being able to adjust on the fly. So I think it's going to be something where they're going to give us something on film that we haven't seen yet. And however we're going to deal with it is how we're going to play this game uh, Sunday. So I think it's, it's going to be a lot of above the shoulders and hopefully we can execute when, when the time comes. All right, looking forward to that on Sunday. The Raiders taking on the Patriots in Foxborough. All right, Alex, since you've been here in Vegas, obviously it is much different than Oakland. It's different than Green Bay. Uh, give us your thoughts on, on living in Las Vegas. You've been here now for, I guess, what, pretty much uh, the last five or six months or so. Yes, yeah, it's, it's been amazing. I think there's a lot of elbow space, <laughs> a lot of room to move around, and just being here with my girlfriend, my dog now, it, it's, it's nice though. Moving in uh, during these tough times is obviously challenging, but I think this community has been able to uh, absolutely crush it with um, just handing out, handing out a, a lending hand. And I've been trying to give back as much as I can into the community and kind of give back to, to all of the kind you know, gestures that people have been giving out to me. So just understand what this community is all about, helping each other. I think it's been really cool. Um, you know, Vegas is definitely a, a community that's, taking us in and I you know we're, we're gonna do all we can in the community but then on the field to kind of emulate what you know toughness and togetherness and unity this this community is showing all right so I'm a big food guy we talk a lot about food here on on this show and I know you've got to be a food guy too coming from Green Bay here what's your favorite food <laughs> spot that you've kind of fell in love with here so far man we, we got uh, Mexican that wants flaming fajitas oh. that is smacking <laughs> I think uh, I was there last night. It's always I was there last night. You, yeah. I, I order that food and then I know I know I have leftovers. You know what I'm saying? Like you're going to have a solid amount of food left in the fridge. Uh, it, it's a good spot for sure. See, now we we do actually have people that listen in Green Bay. So what are we going to go with here? Are we going with Juan's flaming fajitas or margaritas in Green Bay? Yeah, I think I think we'll we'll get them. Yeah, we'll got to 
either we can get one up there or whenever they come out here. Uh, we got to get them off the strip and, and get them to once. There you go. My guy, Tim Keene, who owns Marguerite, is there. He's probably listening today. So there you go. There's a shout out there. All right. Of course, anything's, you know, uh, got to be a little bit better than Townline Pub or Culver's, though, right? But, the, you know, respect <laughs> to those guys, too. I know you spent some time at both of those spots. That, that's a little comfort food now. So don't don't get it twisted. That's that's some good food. You got Townline. that right. And doozies, that, that's big time right there. You got that right. I'm not going to argue with you, my friend. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. <laughs> All right. Knowing the owners over at Townline, too, as well. So shout, shout out to the loot keys and people over there. Hey, Alec, it's, it's great chatting with you, man. Uh, congratulations again, the success that you've had. Congratulations on the TD on Monday night. Good luck going forward, uh, specifically against the Patriots on Sunday. And we look forward to catching up with you again real soon. Awesome. Thank you. Alec Ingold, the fullback for the Las Vegas Raiders. Exciting game Monday night, and uh, great to talk with him. And again, a guy who is young. He's only 24 years old. Uh, A guy, Frank, that almost went to Northern Illinois, but again, went to Wisconsin and uh, to, to play fullback there. I think that suited him very, very well. So, uh, And again, Raider fans love this guy. Yeah, and of course, uh, playing in the Big Ten as opposed to Northern Illinois, who's kind of bounced around a little bit here and there. But he could have been a Husky. <laughs> Could have been a husky, but but now he gets husky by eating comfort food. So and he, and he mentioned Jordan Lynch too. <laughs> yeah, he was a great quarterback too that a lot of people thought would make it in the NFL. Oh, absolutely, but really didn't. Yeah, yeah. There you have it. All right, so great talking with uh, Alec and Gold. All right, so we talk about the Raiders and the Patriots coming up on Sunday. I love John Gruden's comment yesterday. He was saying, "Oh, Cam Newton? You mean Slam Newton?" He goes, and he's just like gushing over Cam Newton. This is going to be interesting. Anytime you have the West Coast team traveling 3,000 miles, it's, it's always uh, a challenge. And it'll be interesting to see how the Raiders attack that Bill Belichick defense. Because right now, Belichick, you know, he's watch, he watched that game Monday night too. And to see what that Raiders offense did against the Saints, D, that shocked a lot of people. I got to presume that Belichick is going to be ready. He's been watching a lot of tape, film, whatever you want to call it. He's going to be ready for the Raiders here. It's going to be interesting to see if the Raiders have that same success on Sunday that they had Monday night. Yeah, and of course you always have a team when they play a Monday night game, they get one less week of one less day of practice out there. So you have that factor, like you mentioned, the travel all over the place. And if the Raiders were flying under the radar after Monday night's game, they're not anymore. And if there's a guy who's usually pretty good at preparing a team and getting ready for somebody, it's uh, Belichick. So we'll see what happens. But, boy, I'll tell you what, the Raiders looked they looked sensational Monday night. I mean, there's no doubt about it. The first half I thought was pretty even, but in the second half they dominated the Saints. Raiders haven't started 3-0 and since 2002. Think about that. It's been a long time since they've been 2-0 and as well, too. So... Yeah, we'll see uh, what, what happens. But it's good. It's, it's good for the, for the Raider fans here in Las Vegas. We'll see if they can uh, continue this. And if, and if they go into New England and beat New England, and we know it's not Tom Brady's you know, Patriots. Edelman is banged up. They're banged up at the wide receiver position. Uh, running back as well, too. A lot of teams but, are banged up yeah. right now. I mean, that really is part of the game. But yeah. this year it seems yeah. like even more. After yeah. last week, it seems like everybody's banged up. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm curious to see how they uh, react to traveling to New England, especially coming off that a big emotional high. And a lot, even though fans were not allowed in Allegiant Stadium, I mean this was this was a circled game, and you're playing with a lot of a lot of passion, a lot of emotion. It's kind of natural to have that let down, and you have to travel on the road too against playing against you know the Patriots' strength is their defense as well too. So will Derek Carr become the Derek Carr that we 
have seen in the past, or is it going to be the Derek Carr that just lit up the Saints secondary? Well, it's also going to be interesting because uh, it might be one of the few times that the Raiders will have the uh, most of the nation backing them in a game. Because if there's one team that's that's less liked than the Raiders, it's probably the New England Patriots by people all around the country. So, you know, now I don't know what it would be in the sports books and that where the, the money's going to go. But um, Raiders have certainly looked very good so far. Tonight we have Thursday night football. Not a real attractive game. And most of the Thursday night matchup, aside from the opening night matchup, is very attractive. But it's the Dolphins and the Jaguars tonight. A lot is being made of the beard versus the mustache. Is it Minshew or is it Fitzpatrick? I know the Jags are a three-point favorite in this game. Total of 49. Any thoughts? A lot of people really are high on Minshew and what he can do and what he could potentially become down the road. Um, You know, I know when you look at this game, you're going, eh, what's exactly. the big deal? Yeah. But you know what? We kind of did that last Thursday, too, and it actually turned out to be a really good game. Yeah. Sometimes you don't have to have the greatest teams in the world to have really good games. So I'm hoping it's a good game tonight. I'm curious to see what the ratings do because the NFL is still king, but it is going up against the Lakers. Yeah. 35-30 was the score of that last Thursday night game with the Browns and the Bengals, and you said that was a good, entertaining game. With two the, young quarterbacks right. with, 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 that a lot of people are high on. Right. So this game has the makings of being decent, believe it or not. It should be competitive. So I think I don't think it will be that high scoring, but the Jags have surprised some people, and the Jags very well could be 2-0. and They played the Titans real tough last week in Tennessee. He had to pull it out at the end to get that W. So we've got that. And actually there's a college football game on tonight as well. I believe it was UAB in South Alabama. So tune into that. <laughs> <laughs> That will not be any, the good thing is those two schools will be taken off your card for your best bet, so you don't have to go with your best bets with either one of those schools. Yeah, probably. Like we, like probably we had have to anyhow. Well, we had to incorporate those guys last week, if you remember. Yeah. When it comes to the colleges, I'm thinking about picking both sides of the same game so I can get one of them right. <laughs> Aces in action tonight. All right, so we've got the semifinals. We have both games tonight. The 4:30 game, the Minnesota Lynx and the Seattle Storm. That went down to the wire. A buzzer beater by Seattle to take a one game to love uh, series lead there. But the Aces, Aces in the driver's seat now, right? Uh, Alyssa Thomas I mean, is they, out. They, they stole the last game that Connecticut. Had in hand. It's tough, man. I wouldn't say driver's seat, but they're a six-point favorite tonight. Game three tonight at 640, they tip it off. I'm taking the aces. I don't know if I want to lay the six, but driver's seat, I don't know. They should be. They're the one seed. Hey, we know the one seeds don't always win, my friend. You know. We know that. You know that from hockey. One seeds don't always win. Well, absolutely. Yeah. All right, so aces win by eight the other night, 83-75. Game three tonight at 640 p.m. All right. Tomorrow, come on by and join us at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas in the sports book. The champ is in the house tomorrow on uh, Showtime, Sean Porter. So uh, look forward to that. Always a fun time with Sean. And he's he going to have some knockout picks. He's going to have some knockout picks. I guarantee he'll be picking the Cleveland Browns because that's all he ever does. And like you, I shouldn't introduce you guys because Ohio State Buckeye through and through. Buckeye mania, baby. Yeah, yeah get ready for that. The Ohio State University. All right. We'll have our best bets tomorrow as well. I want to thank Numchuck. want to thank Alec Ingold from the Raiders for joining us and also the big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright. If you miss any part of the show, check out the interviews and everything at tcmartinshow.com. <laughs>